All right. Um, we're in First Samuel, and yesterday when I found out about Michael passing, for a brief moment I thought about changing the text. But then I thought to myself, Michael would absolutely tell me not to do that. <laughs> he would say, no, brother, just preach, preach the sermon that, that God gave you. And so, so I'm going to do that. Um, and we're in 1 Samuel. Last week we studied 1 Samuel 15. And as we come to the next chapter, um, some time has passed between these two stories. We don't know exactly how long. Saul has already been rejected as king. But it's going to be about 13 years before God actually takes the throne away from Saul. Okay, And we're going to begin, and I'll try to explain that in a minute, but we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 16. This is God's Word. It says this. <clears throat> the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So I want to pause and appreciate that Samuel is grieving. Samuel never wanted Saul to fail. Remember that Saul had been given everything he needed to succeed as a good king. And God also grieved Saul's failure. They both did. But now God says, it's time to move on. There is a time to grieve and there is a time to act. And we are now at the time... To act. Verse 2. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel asks a really practical question, right? You know, how can I do this? Saul would see this as treason. And God's solution is to tell, just tell everyone you're going to make a sacrifice. Now there's a lot of debate about this. Is God telling Samuel to lie? It certainly sounds a little deceptive, right? But there's something important to remember about this, and we could talk about this for 30 minutes, but I'm just going to say this. Saul is not the real king. Which means this is not treason. God is the only real king here. So I don't have a problem with what God says, and, and neither does Samuel really. So verse 4, <clears throat> Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? 
So they sense that maybe something's a little not right. And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they came, he, that Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel sees another tall, dark, and handsome man like Saul, and he thinks, this must be the one. But God throws Samuel a curveball. He says, you look at the outside, I look at the inside. This is um, such a beautiful verse. There are so many... um, helpful applications because we live in a world that completely idolizes outward appearance. And this is not unique to us in this room. This is literally everybody on the planet. We humans judge people whom we have never met by what we see when they enter the room. Clothing brand. Muscle tone, skin tone, hair texture, tattoos and piercings, height, weight. We we may know nothing about their character. We may know nothing about their story, but we all make judgments about a person purely by what we see. And even Samuel does it. And... You'd be hard-pressed to find anything in the Bible that's really said negatively about Samuel. I mean, he, he's kind of an anomaly in the Old Testament. It's hard to find anything he does wrong. But God calls him on this. He says, humans, even you, Samuel, we look at the appearance and God looks at the heart. Another reason that this is beautiful is that already in our text, right here, we have a reminder of Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Scriptures tell us, was not a handsome man. We know this because Isaiah 53 tells us very plainly that Jesus was a very ordinary looking man. It says He had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. And so right there is just a little hint. Just a little hint of Jesus already. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, 
Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. I want you to notice, they haven't even mentioned David's name yet. Right now, he's just that boy out tending the sheep. And I can't help but think about the story of Cinderella, <laughs> which is probably borrowing a bit from this, this story, right? Remember how the stepsisters get passed over by the prince? And he says, is there no one else? Right? No one expected the shepherd boy to be the chosen king. And it, it sounds nice to us, right? Oh, the shepherd. That sounds nice to us because we already know the theology surrounding shepherding in the Bible, right? We're New Testament Christians. We know that Jesus calls Himself the Good Shepherd. We know that the Bible refers to church leaders as, as shepherds. And we, we just have this, you know, you've probably got Psalm 23 hanging up in your house. I and mean, we just all think of shepherding as this beautiful thing. But this is a surprising choice to Jesse and to Samuel and to everyone else. Because why is David keeping the sheep? Because he's the youngest and because literally no one else wants to do that job. Jesse never dreamed that God would choose David. So he leaves David in the field. So this is unexpected. And not only is it unexpected, it's embarrassing. Imagine how Jesse felt watching all his other sons get passed over. Imagine how the other brothers felt. <laughs> but God does this kind of thing all over the Bible. He, he chose Jacob, the youngest, instead of Esau. He used Joseph, who at that time was the youngest brother, to save his family. Despite both of those men having serious character issues. So, why does God choose a shepherd? One suggestion that I like is because shepherding is the job. Um, at least if God is going to pick a king, this is the kind of king that God wants. He wants someone who's going to be more concerned with the sheep than himself. And why does he pick the youngest? If you remember Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2, she said, The Lord brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. So why does God do all this? Why is this His choice? The only thing I can think of is that this is also about Jesus. Jesus was from Nazareth, a nowhere town. 
He was born in David's hometown, Bethlehem. He was the son of a carpenter. Joseph, the carpenter, has no speaking part in the Bible. He was not the Messiah that the people were looking for. Instead, Jesus was a shepherd willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so, it's not really about David. It's about Jesus. Verse 12. Samuel sent and brought him in, and now he, that's David, was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So now after verse 7, maybe you're expecting David to be ugly. But he's not. God just wanted to make sure the people understood that he picked David, not Samuel. Because David wasn't even in the room. But then we come to the anointing. And I learned something recently about anointing that I did not realize when we studied Saul. Okay, so my apologies. Um, but this was interesting to me. So to, to, to most of the surrounding nations and cultures... Anointing was something that a king or a pharaoh did to his servants. It was used as a ritual to commission the king's servants. Okay, So by anointing a servant, the king was placing the servant under his protection. He was claiming ownership of the servant and changing his status to say, you know, you belong to me, basically. But kings and pharaohs in those other cultures were never anointed because they were not servants. And this was interesting to me. This only happens in Israel and it's symbolic of the fact that even the king of Israel was a servant. God commanded that His kings be anointed to show that they were His vassals. That they were His. Not the other way around. They were His servants. They were not superior, superior authorities. Instead, they were under His authority. And so Saul pours the oil on David's head. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. So, there's something happening here, but I want you to remember, as I said in the beginning, it's going to be another 13 years or so before David actually becomes the king. And this is a really important point. Um, one of you called me this week to ask about this because it is a little confusing. I mean, why did God say, I'm taking the kingdom away from Saul, and then in the next chapter he anoints David, but why doesn't David immediately become king? And so I did some research about this, and I'm convinced that um, this is the reason. It's because there's actually an important parallel to this waiting 
in the ministry of Jesus. Now think about this with me. The baptism of Jesus is a bit like an anointing. Because of which, some actually argue that the water was actually poured on Jesus instead of Jesus being immersed. And we could talk about that later. Either way, the Gospels tell us that when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God descends upon Him and He begins His earthly ministry, right? But here's the crazy part. Over and over, Jesus kept saying that the kingdom had not yet come. Which is interesting because Jesus is the king and he was walking among us. But he keeps saying that my kingdom has not yet come. My kingdom is going to come later. Specifically, his kingdom was not fully inaugurated until after the resurrection. But he was anointed. And the Spirit was given. And I want to suggest to you that 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 giving of the Spirit, both for David and for Jesus, was a down payment on the kingdom. The ministry of Jesus was done entirely in the Spirit, just as the Spirit was with David from the moment of his anointing, even though he wasn't yet king. And it gets better. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1. Paul says this, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you, do, you see, do you see this? Do you see where I'm going with it? What's he talking about? He's saying God has made all these promises to His people and they are fulfilled in Jesus. And with Jesus, we have been anointed. The kingly seal has been placed on us because who are we? We are His servants. He owns us. We belong to Him. You see it? Which means God is claiming us and His promise to protect us and to provide for us has been sealed with the Holy Spirit just as He did with King David. Isn't that cool? Saul uh, and, and he, Paul says here, he says it again later, God's Spirit has been given as a guarantee. Why do we need a guarantee? Because everything that God has promised us has not yet fully come true, just as David had not yet received the kingdom, nor even Christ fully. But one day it will come true. Our union with Christ, those of us in this room that believe in Him, who trust in Him, our union with Him means that we also are anointed. Every single Christian. Okay, This is not some special category. So I want to correct my brothers and sisters in Christ who think that the anointing is some special thing. All Christians, according to the Bible, are sealed with this guarantee. 
God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. David didn't get the kingdom that day, but he got a taste of it. He got a taste of it. Watch what happens next. This is so cool to me. Okay, Verse 14. We're going to read a long section, so stay with me. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. I don't know what that means, to be honest with you. Okay, but I'm just throwing it out there. That's what it says. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. wonder who he's talking about. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to his, his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is a, this is a crazy story. Okay, God puts His chosen king the man who will one day replace Saul as close to the throne as he can possibly get without sitting on it. Isn't that weird? And kind of cool. And David is more than a musician, right? It says, um, this is something you might pass right over, but it's actually really, really important. He becomes Saul's armor bearer. And there is no way that that is a coincidence. So if you've been keeping up with our study of 1 Samuel, do you remember from two weeks ago, the most powerful expression of faith in the entire book of Samuel came from an unnamed armor bearer. And what did that man say? Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, part and soul. Now, brothers and sisters, I almost want to jump up and down. This gets me so fired up. David, the future king, takes the position of a servant. He becomes a literal means of grace in the life of Saul, 
A man that we're told is now tormented by an evil spirit and clearly is no longer deserving of God's favor. And God puts David in this role by some weird providence. And David takes on this role without argument, without question. He is playing music for the king. Knowing the whole time that he is actually God's chosen king. And this is the kicker. Knowing that his life is in danger. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man to prepare us for Jesus. Because who is Jesus? He is the one who would leave a throne in heaven to become God's means of grace for people tormented by evil, people who don't deserve such love and sacrifice and service. Amen? And the last thing I want to say to you is this. Brothers, Sisters in Christ, you and me, we are not sitting on the throne. Only Jesus is King. But, in Christ, we are already as close to the throne as we can ever possibly be. We're not the king, but we are united to him. And we are standing in Christ before God as close to the throne as you can possibly be. And the down payment has been made. The guarantee has been given. Christ Jesus is risen. Long live the king. And we are literally with Him. That's what the Scriptures teach. And it's all we need to hear today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it is our privilege, our undeserved privilege to stand united with Your Son and we play our instruments and we sing our songs and we, we pray our words and we, we, we try to submit ourselves to Your Word. And, and Lord, none of it is sufficient for us to have earned that place. We've done nothing before You to be so close to Your throne, so in Your favor. You were so for us. You were so good to us. Lord, I know there may be some who, who struggle to sense that, to know it, to feel it, and I pray for them this morning. I pray for myself, even as I have doubts and struggles, Lord. I pray for each of us to be patient with one another, 
even as You are patient with us. But those that may be here that feel tormented by evil, who feel distant from You and lost, Lord, I pray that You would reach down into their world and show them Christ. He is enough. He is our King. And He is altogether wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.